Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I am your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today will be Aaron Fitt of D1Baseball.com. We will talk Vanderbilt baseball about the season and the decade in the rearview mirror and what is ahead for 2020. This podcast presented by Wellspire, Nashville's Learning and Development Center. Wellspire offers personal and professional development opportunities in a beautiful facility in the Gulch neighborhood. Stop by for an event with world-renowned speakers or host an off-site event that will wow your team or your clients. We thank our co-presenting sponsor, the Well Coffee House, which turns coffee into water and has a mission to bring clean water to the world. Our news presented by Sutherland and Belk, an SEC sports-loving injury firm in Nashville. These guys will shoot you straight on your rights and options when you have been injured in an accident. Call them at 615-846-6200 to get your questions answered. You can also check out their website at sbinjurylaw.com. Aaron Fitt appears on the guest line brought to you by Bowl and Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I have slept on their sheets for years. They're amazing. Had no clue how comfortable sheets could be until I got them. They are fair trade certified, so they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. You can try them for free for a month, but you're not going to want to return them. And once you get those, grab the mattress, which was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY and get $50 off your first set of sheets. Aaron Fit of D1 Baseball with us. Aaron, one of the best in the business, if not the best in the business. Thank you for joining us today. Glad you had a great holiday season. And baseball was is within, I guess, distance of the horizon. So it's a happy time for both of us. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Let's talk about some stuff that you guys did at D1 Baseball with your all-decade teams and your favorites and things like that. Vanderbilt had a significant presence on there. You guys did a wonderful job with it. Uh, your favorites, you had Tony Kemp as your second most favorite player of the decade to cover. This is across college baseball. And the 2019 Vanderbilt team is the second best team of the decade behind 2011 South Carolina. So, that wasn't just you, and I know that some of your colleagues had a significant Vanderbilt presence on their lists as well. Yeah, really, Vanderbilt's fingerprints were all over this decade. You know, it's, it's hard to look back at it and, um, you know, with, without a heavy Vanderbilt influence. And, you know, really, it, it's it's kind of the decade where this program came into its own. I mean, we could see it coming, of course, um, uh, toward the end of the last decade, that, that 2017 um, that, uh, that didn't get to Omaha but was – you know, one of the one of the better teams of the decade that didn't get to Omaha. Uh, it kind of set the stage, and then you could see it build in 2009, and then 2011, and it's coming, it's coming, and and then it just really, you know, by the time we got into the second half of this decade, 2014 and beyond, it was Vanderbilt was just, uh, um, you know, kind of established themselves as really the best program in college baseball. Them and them in Florida are, are one two right now, in, in some order, and you can argue about the order. Um, you know, not to get into too deep of a rabbit hole here, but we've had we've debated this ad nauseum because we did our top 100 program rankings back in September, and, and then we had the program decade thing. And it's like, well, do you take Florida with their seven College World Series appearances, and I think they won more SEC titles than Vanderbilt in the decade, but uh, one national title, one runner-up. 
Or do you take Vanderbilt with with four Omaha trips and two national titles? I mean, kind of pick your poison. You know, it's there's no I don't think there's a wrong answer. Um, I, I tended to, to vote for Vanderbilt in that discussion because I, I think that extra national title really matters. And Kendall tended to lean toward Florida because, I mean, seven seven trips to Omaha in 10 years is pretty insane. So, um, you know, it's, it's a fun discussion to have. But, um, boy, I'll tell you, there were a lot of really fun players on those Vanderbilt teams over the last 10 years. And, I mean, I could have filled up, you know, an entire team full of my favorite Vanderbilt guys, you know, I mean, obviously I'm um, Tony Kemp's kind of the prototype for me, you know, the, the little guy, the speed guy, which is the, the infectious energy, but I love, you know, Dansby Swanson and, and Carson Fulmer and Rhett Wiseman and, you know, Sonny Gray. Uh, so many of these guys just had magnetic personalities that made them a, a lot of fun to cover. Well, decisions on those sorts of things are excruciatingly tough. And we're going to do something like that at VandySports.com in the coming days, we're going to put together a all 27-man roster for Vanderbilt for the decade. And, man, I saw that up close, and I still don't know what the right answers on some of those are. But I think the biggest compliment I can pay you guys is when I look at your stuff, there's nothing that jumps out at me. I'm just like, oh, that's that's wrong. It's like it's a matter of opinion. I feel like you guys do a really good job of putting – the right options on the table when I read your stuff. I don't want to ask you about a clarification because I think, I believe you guys named Vanderbilt the program of the decade for the SEC, but I think named Florida the program nationally. Am I correct on that or did I misread it? I don't think we named one nationally. Oh, you didn't? Okay, maybe someone else did. Um, Well, and I think, I think, because I'm with you, I think you can almost pick either one. Because sometimes championships, I'm not going to say that Vanderbilt got championships by a fluke, but like 2013 Vanderbilt proves you might be the best team in the country, right. but you get into postseason, you might not even get into Omaha. So some crazy stuff happens in the postseason. It's all about trying to to balance that out while also giving proper credit for, um, you know, balance and in, in the things that that Florida did, but. I want to ask you this. If Donnie Everett, mm-hmm. if that tragedy never happens with him, is this maybe case closed the way that history yeah. might have played out? Because I've wondered that so yeah. many times. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, you know, and you hate to even speculate about something like that, which is obviously, you know, there's so many more important things than the baseball element. But, um, yes, I mean, you know, that, that cost Vanderbilt probably at least one, maybe two Omaha trips because it's just the hangover effect even the year after it happened. I mean, it was, uh, and they still won a regional uh, the year after. And, and uh, well, even the next two years they won regionals, but they still weren't quite back to where they where they had been, you know, and I think where they would have been. Um, no question about it. I mean, I, th- I think if that hadn't happened, I think Vanderbilt would have run away with it um, over Florida because I think they would have gotten to Omaha another another time or two. Um, so, you know, it is, it is what it is, but you, you give the program credit for recovering from that. And it, it was obviously going to take time. Uh, but boy, to, to get back to the top of the mountain, um, was pretty special. Well, and the other one in there too, I've gone back, that 2016 team was better than I had remembered. And I think that's yeah. the one where it really cost and they scored that year, 516 runs gave up 249. That's a number that I look at a lot to say, okay, is the win loss record in front of you a fluke or not? That's the year as much as any that I wonder about is how that would that have ended? Because Santa Barbara comes out of that regional, then upsets Louisville up there. And you just 
kind of look at that in the way that Corbin has had his teams playing in the postseason, you just that to me is is maybe the biggest what if is how does that one end? Yeah, I mean, they were at home for a regional, you know, I mean, it's setting up pretty good for you. You're at home for a regional. You, generally, you like your chances, especially if you're Vanderbilt. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, Louisville was really good that year. I mean, for me, that's still one of the, the biggest stunners of the entire decade is, is Santa Barbara winning that thing on the, the walk-off grand slam off, off uh, what was it, Nick Birdie or is Nick Birdie? One of the birdies, uh, yeah. One of the birdies. Uh-huh. I think it was Nick. But I mean, you know, it, it's just, uh, that was... I remember watching that in my hotel room and, and just my, my jaw dropped. I mean, more than anything else that probably happened the entire decade, that one w- was like a wow stunner moment. Yeah, that I felt the same way I was watching that and, and could not believe what I was seeing. But let's get into your preseason coverage for just a minute. I know you guys are in the middle of or about to have your roundtable as to your rankings. The two teams, when I look at this, that are probably in discussion for number one are Louisville and Vanderbilt. And honestly, I would not blame you if you picked Louisville because I think Louisville's got a lot more of its lineup returning. Both teams are loaded in pitching. Vanderbilt's probably more top-heavy. Uh, Louisville maybe a little deeper, but maybe we could argue that. You know this better than I do, but who are the teams on your short list for number one right now, at least on your list? Yeah, I'll tell you that we had four teams in our discussion, um, and I won't tell you how that that shook out. But there are four teams that I think you could you could almost put them in any order, really. And that's uh, Louisville, Vanderbilt, um, Miami, and Florida. And those are two that uh, you know Miami and Florida weren't in Omaha last year, like Louisville and Vanderbilt will were. But um, you know they were they were regional teams that were on the road in regionals. But you could kind of see it building. Those are for Florida in particular it was a transition year. And, and I'll tell you, I saw a lot of teams, a lot of good teams this this fall, Chris. I saw almost all the SEC and ACC, actually. And, and Florida, I saw them twice, is, is probably the best team that I saw, um, you know, based on the looks that I got. You know, I mean, granted, I, I didn't see Vanderbilt at its best. A lot of the Vanderbilt arms when I was in there, um, I know they're, you know, I know how good Kumar Rocker is and Jake Eater. I know how hard those guys throw. I don't, I'm not going to read into it if they're throwing 88, 90 in, in October, you know. So it, that's why you caution not to read too much into fall ball. But, boy, Florida, Florida was insane. I mean, both times I saw them, they're really, really talented. So uh, that said, they have more proof than, than Vanderbilt and Louisville does. And, and the same goes for Miami. But Miami's very experienced, um, you know, even though they haven't been to Omaha with this group, uh, almost the entire lineup is back. It's a bunch of juniors and, and you know, guys that uh, have produced there now. Um, it was a, a high-profile recruiting class that, that are now juniors, and they got a ton of power and balance in that lineup and um, talent on the mound that some of those guys need to kind of prove themselves. Like it's one of those deals where you got the big arms, right, that haven't quite done it yet. Uh, Slade Ciccone and Chris McMahon in particular, if those two guys click for Miami, look out. I mean, they, they could be the best team in the country easily. So those are the two teams that maybe people aren't thinking about as much that for me are, are on the board in that discussion. And then obviously, yes, Louisville and, and Vanderbilt. I just think Vandy with the, you know, the proven national championship caliber arms that are back, it's just kind of hard to ignore that. I mean, you've already won a title with, with riding Rocker and Hickman and Tyler Brown, and, you know, and those guys are back. Um, and you throw in a, a Jack Leiter and, you know, maybe, maybe Eater takes another step forward as a junior now. Certainly he's got top 10 pick kind of upside. He's that kind of talent. It's just a matter of harnessing it all and being consistent with the command piece. But um, there's, there's plenty of depth there still. 
um, is Vanderbilt. You know, there's always going to be depth on the mound. And and yes, there are there's a lot more youth in the lineup than we're maybe used to the last couple of years. But uh, obviously the talent is still through the roof and you still have an Austin Martin to kind of anchor everything and, and a couple of older guys. But there, there are some pieces that need need to establish themselves, even the sophomores, you know, who were there last year, like. Um, you know, Isaiah Thomas, for instance, is, is kind of a, a guy that, that comes to mind. You know, he's got a lot of ability and it's his turn now. And so we, we don't necessarily know what we're going to get from those guys, but you kind of give Corbs and his staff the benefit of the doubt when it comes to development. Yeah, there's no doubt you have to downgrade their lineup from last year because they lose all that experience in Scott and Paul and Blade and, and Philip Clark. I mean, that was align it for the ages they do have a lot of talent but sometimes talent takes a little to develop but here's the way I see them this year because baseball comes down to how do you play out a series at the end okay and and they're going to go rocker hickman eater in some order we presume and I, I think that most weekends rocker and hickman can each give them seven innings and then you say eater gives them five or six let's give him six just to round it off at 20 and then you can probably get four from Tyler Brown. So there's 24 right there. And, you know, they get the the three or whatever. Or, or say we've overstated Eater and they got another inning to go. It doesn't really matter. They got enough arms to get them through the weekend. Then you add lighter in regional Omaha, whatever you want to say there. The way I look at it is, okay, we, we've laid out how they map out their innings for the weekend. And, you know, what do you expect him to give up? Maybe 10, 12 runs for the weekend, uh, probably 12 mm-hmm. on, on the max side. Then it's like, how many do you have to score to win a series, all things being even? Again, we can nitpick the lineup, and I think that's a discussion to be had. Um, but I look at it from that way, and I'm going, they're just going to be awfully tough to beat on weekends. Yeah, uh, exactly right. That That's kind of what it comes down to. You know, that's why, that's why they're in the discussion for number one, even though – you look at the lineup and the experience that they have in the lineup, and it's like, eh, you know, Vanderbilt might take a step back this year. And then you're like, oh, yeah, they've still got Rocker and Hickman and Tyler Brown and all these other guys, you know. I mean, Ethan Smith kind of gets lost the shuffle. That guy's electric. Um, you know, I, I like being able to uh, to have those shutdown guys in the back, not just a closer, but a couple of guys. And I think he'll certainly be that piece this year. And, you know, we'll see what, what you get from some of the younger arms, like the, the Michael Doolins and um, – you know, a Luke Murphy maybe, and uh, see if Chance Huff can take another step. I mean, there's still a lot of a lot of guys kind of around Smith in that bullpen. So, yeah, I just think you're 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 exactly right. They're not going to put a lot of runs, and um, at this point, you know, you keep waiting for <laughs> you keep you keep waiting for the 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 fairy dust to wear off when it comes to Hickman, right? Because it's like, oh, he's 86 to 90, you know? It's not really a put-away secondary pitch. It's just it's a spin rate guy and it's a command guy. But, boy, it just gets out. And, you know, at this point, he's proven. And you look at the numbers last year, they blow you away. You know, that strikeout walk, he missed a lot of bats. Um, not just a not just a fly ball guy, you know? He can beat you several different ways. So I have just so much confidence. Obviously, in Rocker, he's like the most talented guy in the whole country, but so much confidence in, in Rocker and Hickman and Brown. And that just is when you got that kind of foundation on the mound, it gives you a really high floor. All right, I'll play a fun little game with you. Uh, and this is unfair to put you on the spot, but but it, it is fun. Uh, top three strikeout rates on the team last year. Who were they in order? In order? Boy. Um, I mean, I'm. Without looking at the stats, I'm going to say I just happened to look at Hickman recently. So I think Hickman's up there. Uh, I might say he's number 
he might be number one. And then I'm going to say Rocker and uh, Brown. In order, and I don't, I didn't carry out the extra decimals, so I don't know. But uh, Ethan Smith, thirty-four oh. percent. Tyler Brown, thirty-four percent. Mason Hickman, thirty-three percent. Okay. And Rocker down at twenty. Now Rocker obviously came that's on right. as the year went on, and that's not a full reflection of of the Rocker that he ended. But that's that's just incredible. And, and Hickman was so consistent last year. I mean, he did not have a bad outing, literally, not one. Yeah, it's nuts. I mean, what was it, a two ERA, something like that? I mean, it was really good. And and to do what he did in the postseason, too. Um, you know, as Tim Corbin would say, he's got the right heartbeat for the game. Yeah. Well, um, I want to get into something for a minute. And it's it's a topic of conversation that comes up time and time again. And it's kind of taken on a life of its own. And no, it's not the whistler. It's the other topic. It's the scholarships. <laughs> and I want to read this to you because I asked Tim Corbin about this just off the cuff in a podcast we did this summer. Um, and here's his quote, and i just let you react to this, how you choose. And look, everybody knows the scholarship thing helps them in its own way, but the context is they cost, whatever, 70 grand right. a year. And here's a quote that I'll read to you from him that I thought was interesting. He said, it's become so comical in terms of Vanderbilt has 35 full rides, quote-unquote, if everybody knew how much every kid on that field last year was paying to go to school, they'd never say that again. Our financial aid allows us to keep kids, but not without help. Um, we've got guys paying 15, 17, 25, 30, 35,000. I'm naming amounts of kids on the field last year. That's twice as much as any school in our conference. Yeah. But you're getting a Vanderbilt education, you know, right, <laughs> which is right. it just not in the same ballpark as any other education in the conference. It's, it's just totally different. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you're you're look, I mean, you're, you're private school and an elite academic institution. It's just a totally different um, uh, pool of players that you're appealing to. I mean, you know, and it's somebody who's who in most cases, somebody who values education and is willing to pay something for education. But if you're if you're paying even 30 grand for a Vanderbilt education, you're doing pretty darn well, you know? I mean, yeah. um, so, so, I mean, I, well, we've talked about this before, Chris, I, I am not someone who ever begrudges Vanderbilt their, their institutional aid. I think, um, every school should do whatever it can to supplement their, their meager 11.7. And, you know, people want to complain about the lack of a, you know, level playing field. I mean, it's just like, Anything else, it's just like Major League Baseball. There's no level, level playing field between the Yankees and the Rays. You know, they still have to go out and play the games. I mean, with, with resources at disposal. In Vanderbilt's case, they have a lot of resources, but they also have some disadvantages. You know, the, the cost of attendance being one. Um, you know, the, the fact that they're not going to get 12,000 fans at a game like they will in Starkville or Baton Rouge. You know, um, the educational um, threshold just to get into school. You know, you're not going to be able to compete for certain players with that. So there there are pluses and minuses for everybody. Fenville's got a pretty darn good setup. Um, I think it's a great job. You know, <laughs> I think it's a place where you, as Tim Corbin has, has proven, um, they've invested, they care, um, and and they make it work. So, um, you know, I mean, again, I'm, I'm not anyone who is going to begrudge Vanderbilt. I, I, I hate, in fact, that line of attack. Um, the people who are really jealous of Vanderbilt, and and certainly he's right. I mean, you know, there's this misperception, misconception that they have all these guys on full rides, and that's certainly just plain not true. But they still have a lot of guys who are, um, you know, getting a lot of aid as they should. It's an expensive place to go to school, so 
it all for me it's it's an interesting discussion but um i don't think it's nearly as much of an issue as the rest of the sec tries to make it out to be well and that's kind of what i'm getting at and i'm 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 not trying to take a side in this to me if you create a brand that's attractive and education is part of that, then they shouldn't be faulted for that. Also, there's not a school in the country that wouldn't take advantage of the opportunity he has. I guess the question I have, how much, first of all, where did all this come from? Because it's taken a life of its own. Second of all, is this a case where kids that, that are going to Vanderbilt are truly paying less out of pocket than if they went to LSU or Virginia or, fill in the blank with whatever. I think, like you, to me, it's that they've created a brand that's attractive, and that's why kids want to come there. It's not that kids are paying less out of pocket right. compared to other schools, is my guess, but you know more about this, and I'm anxious to hear your take. Yeah, I think you're I think you're right. I mean, certainly if, if you know, all things are equal, let's say you can, you can pay the same amount to go to Vanderbilt or LSU, you know, it's – where would you rather go? I mean, I guess it depends on the profile of, of the of the kid. You know, are you an academic oriented kid, or you know, did you grow up in you know Lafayette, Louisiana, and wanting to be a tiger? I mean, it's just it just appeals to different 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 players. But um, uh, the the brand that Vanderbilt has built, there's no question about it. I mean, uh, the, the the family thing. We talk about that a lot when we talk about Vanderbilt's program um, because it's real. You know, it really is. I mean, anyone who goes to a Vanderbilt game and sits next to Maggie Corbin there. She's there every day behind the plate, you know, in the same spot. And, um, you know, the whole, the whole thing is just a, it, it's a very real family atmosphere. And those more than any other program I can even think of, it's, it's a brotherhood. Um, and I think that it carries a lot of weight. I mean, really those guys are, are all in and the coaches, you know, just wear their hearts on their sleeves. And uh, I'm sure a lot of other people roll their eyes when I talk about this stuff because I, I talk about it a decent amount because I believe in it. I, I just think that what they've built is really special. Aaron, let's take a few questions for the mailbag if you're ready. Yeah. Okay. This one comes from Theodore 8. Will Jack Leiter be a weekend starter by the end of the season or has Kumar Rocker ruined expectations for Vanderbilt fans of what a freshman pitcher can reasonably be asked to do? My feeling on this, my hunch, it's just a hunch because who knows. But I think, yes, by the end of the year, I expect when we get into the postseason, I think Eater is going to be in the bullpen and, and Leiter will be the number three starter. That that's that's If you had to put me on the spot, that's what I think will wind up happening by the time we get to June. Ann Arbordor says, what levels would you say an average time frame is to return from Tommy John surgery, or return to prior performance level, that is? Uh, not just back and throwing, but throwing at the same level in terms of control, velocity, et cetera, prior to injury. Given that answer, what would you do if you were Hugh Fisher? I presume hmm. he means not just playing this year, but also going into the draft. Right, yeah. So, you know, a lot of times you'll see guys back in action in, I mean, roughly a year. Uh, you can see it as, as fast as, what, 10 months for some guys. But to get all the way back, like, like uh, the question asks, um, you're looking at more like 18 months to two to two years, really. I think it can sometimes take a full 24 months to get all the way back where you were with your command and your field of spin and um, your conditioning. Uh, but you know, 18 months can 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 be done. Uh, but as far as Fisher, so the surgery was uh, in the summer. Is that right? 
I, boy, I think that's been really quiet. It's been hard to find out exactly what happened there, but I would presume that was the case. I started hearing about that injury not long after the season, so I would presume they got yeah. taken care of quickly. I thought, uh, and I could be mistaken on this, so don't hold me to it, but I thought I heard August was when it happened, uh, the day actual surgery. I don't know about that for sure, but if that's the case, then, you know, yes, he's not going to, obviously not going to pitch this coming spring. And, and, and I, I still think probably at this point, um, what's he, a red shirt sophomore right now? Uh, he would be, he's going into his third year on campus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. So somebody's going to draft him and maybe make a run at him just because, you know, he's left-handed. He's six foot six. He throws 96 with a wipeout slider. I mean, everyone's seen that before. Um, uh, I suspect he'll get a chance to go play pro ball if he, if he wants to do that. Um, and you know, coming back as a fourth year guy, I mean, you know, there's there's value in getting your pro career started if you want to play pro ball. Um, there's value in getting it started when you're 21 and not 22. That said, you know, he could come back and make himself more money and get himself a, a degree. There's value in that too. So without talking to Hugh and knowing where his mind is, I have no idea uh, what he's thinking. But um, it wouldn't surprise me either way. Well, I think he flashed enough upside Yes. that I suspect he's going to be gone. Now, the performance did not match with – with the flash, if, if that makes sense. And probably he would have pitched better. I'm suspecting he was not at 100%. That affected his performance. A lot of times you see that affect command and control. But I have a sneaking suspicion that's how that will play out. Yeah, I, I suspect you're right. I, I think, you know, I think he'll, he'll get a chance to, to make a good chunk of change and go out there and play. Dan B. Nash says, do you think Austin Martin will go 1-1 in the MLB draft? <laughs> Boy, he's got a shot at it. That's for sure. Um, I mean, he's special. Yes. You put me on the spot. Yes or no? I, I think yes. Um, he's right there. He's at number one on our, our board right now for uh, for that class or not. Um, but he's – I mean, I'm all in on that guy. It's really, really special. Just the, the, the hit tool, you know. I mean, he, I think he can be a big league batting champion. And those guys don't grow on trees. And he's an athlete. Uh, I love the – the mentality, the mindset, the makeup piece. Um, I think you could put him in a variety of positions. I mean, I was talking with somebody at the convention um, who thinks he could wind up as, as a big league center fielder, and I could see that. But I also think, you know, put him in a variety of positions on the infield. I mean, heck, I'd like to see what he could do as a, as a shortstop um, at this level. I don't know that he's a big league shortstop, but he's, he's, I think his versatility also brings value. But, I mean, you're buying the bat. And you're buying the makeup and the athletic, the overall athleticism. Just, it's a really, I think it's a really special package. It's the kind of thing that doesn't come along very often. So, yeah, I, I do. I do think he'll go number one. It's him, Torkelson, and Emerson Hancock right now. Am I correct? Or is there someone else? Maybe Nick Gonzalez. I think Gonzalez is a little lower consensus than most of those guys, but yeah. my sense is that's kind of the conversation right now. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and they're, you know, Torque has his backers and Hancock has his, and Asa Lacey has some support, but. Um, for me, you know, I just think that if I'm comparing Martin and Torque, I mean, Torque's bat is special. Certainly that's a guy that could go out and, you know, I guess he could win a batting title too, but he could also lead the big leagues in homers. I mean, he's got that kind of a bat. Um, but you're looking at a first baseman. I mean, uh, I think if you can, if you can be a batting champion, who's a center fielder or a second baseman or a third baseman, it's just a, a different level of value. So for me, I, I go with the athlete. 
Um, and as far as the arms go, I mean, it's more risk, you know, it's more risk always with a, with a pitcher getting, getting hurt. Um, so if, if I'm picking number one right now, today, I'm, I'm taking Martin. I'm going to ask you a question that I can't answer myself. Give me an MLB comp on him. Hmm. Wow. Cause I don't think I've ever seen another player quite like him, Aaron. Yeah, that's, that's a good, that's a good question. I feel like I've had this discussion with scouts and I've, I've heard some names. I'm trying to remember. Um, let I mean, me, my, let me, my let me shot in the it. dark is Tony Phillips. That was a long time ago and I would have to look at the, but I mean, I'm thinking of a guy that had yeah, a hit tool and played all over the field. Yeah. yeah and could run, but, um, that's not bad. And Tony was a really good player. You know, people probably don't remember how good of a player he was, but yeah, that's not bad. Let's see these couple more from Dan B. Nash. Could any other Vanderbilt players go in the first round? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Eater certainly could. I think he's got that kind of upside. Um, let's see. Think about, so we're talking about just this year's draft? Yeah, I don't think any I don't think any other player's been in the first round conversation other than Eater and Fisher. And of course, Fisher we talked yeah. about. And of course, if you want to go future, then Kumar Rocker's probably the early favorite yeah. for one one two years down the line and then um, Lighter right. is a draft eligible sophomore or will be, so he'll be a first right. rounder. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. You nailed it. Those would be the, the guys on this roster. Um, yeah. I don't think there's anyone else that comes to mind right now. You know, maybe one of those pitchers develops into something, those younger arms that they've got. But I think those are the guys. I'm really intrigued to see what <laughs> Isaiah Thomas is down the line. Yeah. He's got massive power. It's very interesting, and obviously he can really run. Um, it's a very interesting guy. Um, you know, and he had a great summer up there in the was the Northwoods League, I think. Um, interested to see what what he does this year because if he if he takes a step forward, boy, you're right. I mean, that one he could he could rocket up some lists. Okay, if you can't answer this question to protect your content, then I respect that, and you're allowed to decline here. But Dan B. Nash wants to know what SEC teams you pick for Omaha. Um, I, well, I haven't made my Omaha picks yet, but just thinking about the SEC, I would say, um, boy, it's tough. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, the, the ones that I like the most, Vanderbilt, um, Florida, Georgia with their, their pitching and then defense once again. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, it's, it's the league is so crazy. Uh, uh, for me, those are the top three. And then I've got, you know, in some order, Arkansas, Auburn, Mississippi State, LSU. Um, so there's four teams for me that are probably comfortably inside the top 15 in, in the rankings. I'll give you that much at least, um, you know, flirting with top 10. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see any of those teams get to Omaha. Obviously, they're not all going to, but uh, this could be – I would imagine we'll have at least three SEC teams in Omaha and maybe four. Um, it's, But, you know, the ACC looks really strong this year, stronger than it has been, I think. Um, you know, we talk about Louisville, Miami. Florida State's really good, and I think you got a really strong next group too with Duke and NC State. Uh, Wake Forest is going to be very good this year. I know I said that last year, but I mean it this time. <laughs> Uh, and Georgia Tech, I like them again. So, you know, and, and then you got the, the UVAs and the Clemsons, North Carolina. I mean, SEC, ACC both look 
comfortably 11 teams deep of, of legitimate contenders to me because Boston College is a really interesting sleeper too if you're looking at farther down the ACC. So I know that's not what the questioner asked, but uh, I think those two leagues are head and shoulders above everybody else this year. And, um, you know, be interested to see what happens when we get the postseason. I'm sure we'll have a lot of ACC-SEC matchups. What is holding Mississippi State back from that upper tier? Because yeah. they got so much of that lineup back. They were so balanced a year ago. They got Ginn back. Right. I think they lost some of their bullpen. This is all from memory. But what's the knock on them? Yeah, just a little bit unproven on the mound. And, and I, I like their depth on the mound. But, you know, they're going to be relying on some guys that haven't done it yet uh, after Ginn. You know, I mean, Christian McLeod, the lefties, uh, missed all of last season. Um, he's talented. I saw him in the fall. I saw him pretty good. Uh, he, You know, he's got a chance to be really, you know, successful in the SEC. But he hasn't done it yet. He hasn't pitched in the league yet. So there's one. And, um, you know, I think they're, they might have a freshman closer. They might have landed Sims, I think, is in that discussion for him. They might have a freshman uh, Sunday guy, Tuesday guy, I mean, they, you know, they, they have a really nice recruiting class, but those guys have to establish themselves and there will be growing pains. There always are with freshmen, but, uh, but yeah, they're good. I mean, the top four guys in that lineup uh, in some order, you would think would be Rowdy Jordan and Tanner Allen, and Jordan Westberg and Justin Foscue. I mean, boy, that's pretty darn good. I mean, that's, uh, maybe as good as any top four in the country. So yeah, they're, uh, for me, they're, they're easily a top 10 team. Yeah, I think their lineup in Louisville's might be as top heavy as anybody's. Yeah, and and you know Louisville for me, I mean, they're it's based on pitching. That's why I like them the most. But their lineup is veteran, and you know you've got Benellis and you know Dunn, you know those guys that uh, were there last year, and um, you know will we'll anchor the thing. But after that, there's not as much star power. I mean, I think Mississippi State probably has more star power in the lineup, and potentially you know Miami certainly with with. Boy, Alex Terrell and Raymond Gill and Freddie Zamora and, um, you know, Adrian Del Castillo and J.P. Gates. I mean, Miami's got the most power out of all these teams. So, um, but yeah, that's uh, it's an interesting discussion and in trying to rank these teams. It's really, we've gone round and round in some of this stuff. Last question, I'll get you out of here. This also from Dan. Where does the issue of the third paid assistant stand? I thought I read it was being revisited after being voted down last year. Yeah, the ADs um, elected not to revote on it uh, in the fall, and so it'll be a two-year waiting period, and it'll come up again. Um, and without softball is is from everything I can gather is the plan is they'll try it again without softball and just try to make make uh, make it happen in two years. So, um, which would be I guess 2021 I think would be when that push will happen. So we'll see. Um, yeah, I remain optimistic that we can get this thing done. But because, uh, you know, a lot of those ADs took a lot of heat the last time around. And I remember hearing right after the vote, you know, with a week later that if they, they revoted again, it would have passed easily um, because a lot of those ADs were spooked by how much heat they got. But who knows? I mean, you know, <laughs> it's hard to trust anything these guys say at this point. They're clearly not, generally speaking, um, these guys aren't thinking that much about baseball you know football and basketball drive the bus and uh we're just begging for scraps at the end of the table so it is what it is are you saying that the ad's don't always tell the truth (laughs) (laughs) yeah it seems to be the case chris (laughs) (laughs) well hey aaron i know you're busy you've got a lot of work to do d1 baseball is phenomenal if you're a college baseball fan you're listening and you're not subscribing i gotta ask what are you thinking because 
it's the best out there. You guys cover your sport as well as anybody covers any sport anywhere. I want to give you a chance to promo your site and what's coming up before we end the show. Yeah, d1baseball.com. Um, you know, your one-stop shop, we hope, for, for college baseball. And we're just cranking out season preview content right now. Uh, you know, we'll have top 25 breakdowns all week. Uh, next week and then i don't know when you're posting this podcast but uh starting the 13th that'll be our preseason top 25 and then all american teams uh, a week after that diving into conference previews and position power rankings and uh we'll have some podcasts along the way we've got to get better at doing those more regularly but uh stop by dwinbaseball.com and we hope that you do subscribe and um i think we'll have some promo offers too if you're interested in a, in a discount for an annual uh subscription so keep keep your eyes peeled on twitter for those All right, Aaron, we will definitely have this posted by the time you release your top 25. Thank you so much for your time today, and I look forward to hopefully seeing you at Hawkins Field or Omaha or somewhere this year. Absolutely, Chris. Look forward to it. Mark Gent joins us now. Mark has been a friend of mine for about 25 years or so. Mark runs a company called Simply a Fan, and what Simply a Fan does is is put together trips to ballparks, particularly in baseball. They have done some major league trips. Last year, Mark took a trip with Vanderbilt fans to Omaha to the finals of the College World Series. I know it was an unforgettable event for Mark and for the people he took. Mark, I appreciate you joining us. How are you tonight? Good, Chris. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Well, we are excited about the partnership between Simply a Fan and VandySports.com. Mark, tell folks about the Omaha trip last year, what you guys did, the services that you provided for your client, and just about your time out there. Yes, thank you, Chris. So the Omaha trip, it was fantastic. It was uh, obviously a last-minute trip just by nature of once they made it to the championship series against Michigan. But we pulled it together, and uh, we had 12 to 15, almost 15 people that uh, we traveled out to Omaha together, and really what I try to do is take all the logistics off the of people who want to go so they can just enjoy the trip and the fellowship. And uh, that's, we left on Sunday, enjoyed all three games, and then uh, came back on Thursday. And, you know, the, one of the things that we provide is simply a fan. It's just that chance for fellowship with other people who you may not know and who you um, – uh, and there's friendships that are formed there that last well after the trip. And that's one thing that we're excited about um, for the trips that we provide. Well, and I'm hoping to take one or two of those with you this year. But one of the things that you do is you can provide everything. You can provide the ride, the hotel, all those things, even some food in between at times. But also if somebody has a trip lined up or tickets or something to some event, you can also fill in the gaps with either a ride, whether that be on a bus or a plane or just a hotel room or whatever. You really are able to either offer people the entire experience or customize to fill in the holes in what they don't have. Am I correct with that? Correct, yes. So we can offer the full package or if somebody wants to come in and they just need the transportation or they want to, some people just won't take it to sit with the group. I got a uh, email from a guy the other day that wants to do that in Arizona next month where he just wants the fellowship of being with other Vanderbilt fans. And so we can offer the full package. We can a la carte and act as the travel agent tour guide to be able to provide people, um, 
an adventure that they'll walk away with having had a good experience and more than anything, just enjoy their uh, time together. Well, Mark, you mentioned the Arizona trip. You were already getting that set up. So if folks want to join that, tell them what you're going to provide and where they get more information. So they can learn more about that on the website, simplyafan.com. And that is the trip to Scottsdale next month. Uh, when Vanderbilt plays in the MLB four tournament, uh, they play, uh, three games in three days. They're at, um, salt river fields at talking stick. And what we provide is the airfare, the hotel, the ground transportation, the game tickets. And, uh, again, just try to provide everything that they would need so that when they show up and go, uh, it's all taken care of. And, you are contemplating other trips to some road series this year. Tell folks about some of the possibilities that maybe you're ready to announce. Yeah, so we are looking at the trip to Dodger Stadium beginning of March uh, when they play USC and UCLA, and uh, that's going to be a, a, another fun adventure. Then we're looking at the trip to Knoxville uh, the third weekend in March um, when they go play the balls, and then also the LSU trip in April, um, looking at those three road trips to uh, take groups to. Of course, we'll be flying out to L.A. and Knoxville and LSU will be road trips where we really hope to have a charter bus to be able to take fans in mass to those games. And there's add-ons along the way that we do as well. For instance, the trip to Arizona in February, we're going to be visiting uh, several MLB spring training sites where former Vanderbilt players are playing for, and uh, we're looking forward to just providing that extra add-on touch that they might not uh, might not have otherwise or might not think about. Well, Mark, I've known you for a long time. You are a hard worker. You're conscientious. I know that you put every bit of your time and your energy into your trips, and I highly recommend that people use you if they're looking at taking some road trips. I know we also talked about the major league trips that you have guided, which are also available on your site. People can look there. Tell folks where they can go for more information and where they can find you on Twitter, please. That's great. Yeah, they can go to simplyafan.com to find out all the information about the upcoming trips. Uh, They can also find there the seven MLB trips that we have lined up for this year. Uh, They can contact me at uh, 615-579-5217 on Twitter, at simplyafan18. And um, they can find us on Instagram and Facebook as well. Mark, thanks for joining the podcast today. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Looking forward to this partnership with FandySports.com. Same here. He is Mark Gent of Simply a Fan. I'm Chris Lee, the host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. Thank you for listening. Should have another episode dropping on Friday and more to come as well next week.